Hey guys, I just want to share with you about Uncana. Uncana is the sponsor for the Mentors for Military podcast, and they're a veteran-owned and operated hemp-derived CBD company based out of Denver, Colorado. What do they do? They provide high-quality CBD products and remain a leading trusted voice of advocacy. They're vertically integrated with local Colorado hemp pioneers, giving them complete oversight over their entire operations and direct access to the most experienced professionals in the industry. That results in products and information you can trust. Their mission says it all. They want to remove the barriers to natural alternatives for service members by advocating for the reversal of the DOD ban on non-intoxicating hemp-derived CBD products. Check out Uncana today by going to uncana.com. Whether you're a veteran-owned business or you're somebody looking to help support a veteran-owned business, be sure to head over to our veteran-owned business directory. You can find it at veteranownedus.com. Don't forget, if you're looking to support our podcast, you can do that a number of different ways. You can go out to our Facebook page. You can leave a rating and review there. You can leave a rating and review in one of the uh, podcast applications, such as Apple Podcast. You can also become a donor by going to our Patreon site at patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. Or you can just share us with your family and friends and let everybody know about Mentors for Military. We appreciate everybody who listens to us each and every week, provides us the feedback, and lets us know how we're doing. Keep it up. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. John, I'm really curious, where is it that you originally came from? Because you're living now in North Carolina, so is that where you're originally from? Actually, I was born in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Really? And then about, uh, yeah, about the age of five, I imported up to a small town in uh, called Whiteville, North Carolina. If you drew a straight line from Fayetteville to Wilmington on the coast, uh, it's like halfway. Okay. See, I'm uh, picking up so, the accent. That's why I was wondering. Yeah, yeah, gonna... yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, I've been out <laughs> since 2012, so it's came back pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I grew up in the panhandle of Florida, so of course that's the section of Alabama. I think they're really upset that they gave up somewhere during the treaty process because uh, they lost all the great beaches down there. And, oh, it's uh, beautiful down there. Oh my God, yeah, it's it's great. So I loved growing up there and very familiar with uh, you know Alabama, Montgomery, Birmingham, the whole bit. So I guess you you grew up being a uh, a Tide fan. Yeah. Okay, I figured as much. Growing up yeah. in in Alabama, you have to choose one of the two universities from birth. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> right? That's right. What was it that caused you to go into the military? Was it something that you had as far as a family background, or is it something that all of a sudden you just decided, hey, time for me to go ahead and join? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of, of, of both. Uh, my entire, on my dad's side of the family, uh, everybody served from World War One on up. Um uh, dad was a Vietnam vet, kind of grew up around that. He was a uh, lifetime or a uh, retired law enforcement officer after he got back from, from Nam. Uh, so that kind of had that. I knew one day I was going to go in law enforcement. But uh, so I decided ever since I was little and I kind of went two paths where I grew up and in Whiteville was a huge baseball town. Uh, it used to be called Baseball Town USA. It was like a factory uh, for producing uh, uh, ath- baseball athletes. So uh, okay. I actually, at high school, got drafted in the 38th round by the Reds. No uh, lie. And got a full boat ride to Clemson. So I went down to Clemson, uh, played fall ball down there, but 
at that particular time in my life, it was like, hey, this this side's gone, man. I want to go play Army. Yeah, that uh, that's <laughs> that's that crazy, always man. <laughs> yeah. So um, you decided not to go the baseball route, and yep. what happened that made you all of a sudden say, okay, I want to go play Army? You, you just had enough of college and everything, and uh, no, no, it was actually, you know, I, I there was such a push from. Uh, from our town, you know, that was if you made it to uh, the level where you were getting scouted, then then it's an expectation that hey, that's what you go. Uh, in the back of my heart, I knew that's not what I wanted to do. Um, so the Reds kind of said, hey, you know, we uh, we couldn't pick you up in the early round, so Clemson had already given me a letter of intent uh, back in '91. So I was like, hey, I'll cruise down here, knowing that that's not what I want to do. So I played fall ball that year, which usually ends around after Thanksgiving time. And I said, hey, you know, my heart's not in this. Uh, but I want to be, I want to be in the army. That's what I've always wanted to do. Jump out of planes, do crazy stuff like that. Uh, so I called my parents and told them, Hey, uh, I'm packing up and coming back. And they were like, are you on drugs? Uh, did you, <laughs> sure did you fail? Did you fail terribly? <laughs> so I was like, no, no. I was like, Hey, it's just what I want to do. So, you know, I caught a lot, a lot of, a lot of flack for that. Uh, but came back enlisted, uh, in the army, 11 Bravo. I uh, did my first tour out at uh, 25th infantry division in Hawaii. Um, we had a short, uh, about two, two, three year contract. Uh, luckily most of the leadership I had out there were from Ranger Regiment. Uh, either guys have been squad leaders, tune star used to be back in those days, you know, you do some regiment time, either you go to RTB, be a Ranger instructor, or Hey, you go out to Hawaii. Hawaii, we had like a 99 Ranger, 99% Ranger school graduation and it was a safe haven. Uh, so I had a lot of, a lot of influence from that area and they were like, Hey, you need to reenlist and, uh, and go to regiment. So, uh, that's what I did. Ended up going to, uh, regiment as a tab spec four. So I was an import. Uh, yeah. so I had to pay that, pay that price. Uh, so you went to good. ranger school from 25th then because of yes. the influence, like you're saying that you had and everything. So yeah, when went you to went to ranger school is an E2. Now what, what, uh, year I, was that? Like 92, 93? I went, uh, graduated 894. So okay. I went in the army at, uh, in, in 92, spent about two and a half years there, uh, finished up, uh, went to ranger school and then, and then headed to, headed to rip. Was the, the jungle school there then, or was yes. that before? Was it still? It, yeah, it was. A, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. So they had, uh, it, you know, we had the one in Panama, JOTB, and then they kind of had the one out there. It's not as, I guess it's huge now. Uh, yeah. But uh, out there, the big thing was LLC. I think it was called Light Leaders Course, which was the equivalent to uh, pre-ranger RIP. Uh, and it was ran by all ex-regiment cadre. So it was, it was, it was a fun time. I made it out to the jungle school uh, with our detachment at 7th Group. And it was incredible to see their pre-workout, uh, both for pre-ranger and for pre-jungle, was phenomenal. Uh, oh, yeah. So I think that that legacy that you're talking about that you went through, it still lives on today to those guys. They were pretty pretty intense with their pre-ranger school, pretty intense with their jungle school. Yeah, they were, it, was, it was amazing. Now, did you end up going through, uh, during that time frame, 94, was also the desert phase? Yeah, so, yep, El Paso, yeah. Yeah, were you airborne at that time frame, or did you go through as yes. a Gulf? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, back in the day, that's where a lot of guys ended up getting hurt and recycled. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, the big thing, you know, kind of back then you had the four phases, but you remembered the special food from each phase. But, yeah, at that particular time, desert was the French toast. French toast. Not the win. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But, yeah, I mean, that was it was one of the things, you know, if you could go through as, 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 as a golf, you were uh, kind of trucked out to the airfields. But if you had to jump in, man, it was you rolling the dice every time. Yeah, no lie. That was the big thing. So I knew a lot of guys that actually went through ranger school, or not a lot, but a few guys that 
chose not to go airborne first. They actually wanted to be a golf when they went through Ranger (laughs) (laughs) and then go to airborne school afterwards, you know, get the Victor qualification. So, yeah. So anyway, you are one of the uh, the the original guys. So and that's back when Ranger School was hard, as most of them will tell you now. <laughs> yeah, yeah the last hard class. <laughs> last hard class. So then you went from from the twenty fifth into Rip. Uh, so you didn't you didn't join. You went straight in with the Eleven Bravo contract. Spent some time there, and then went straight into Rip. Tell me a little bit about that process. I know it's wildly different now. Was there yeah. two different Rips at the time? Uh, it was, uh, we had rip and you still had rafts. So if you were an E5 or above, uh, uh, I think it was still called rafts, but I remember E5 and above had a certain rope. course they went through and E4 and below, uh, had a certain course they went through, which was rip. Yeah. Um, there was rip but, and uh, rope. If I remember correctly. Rip, right? Exactly. Yeah, I yeah. can remember. Yeah. Rip and rope. Rory, uh, Ranger orientation program. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, uh, you know, expectations is you know you're coming in i was a spec tab spec for it that particular time so uh i got a lot of uh uh extra attention uh, but, uh, <laughs> and, and, and i understand the process i mean hey you know you've got to prove yourself guys are growing up there uh with just a scroll and you got to prove yourself and that's the bottom line i knew that going in the good thing was coming from the 25th is i never seen a truck yeah uh so we walked everywhere i don't even think of the battalion had a truck issued to it so you walk to the ranges you walk to i mean it was and over there as you know going through the jungle course over there it's some quite rough terrain gulches i remember i remember they used to call them gulches over there it'd be a 150 foot drop at an into nowhere um i used to swear walking over there i mean this is we have to be the first humans walking in this stuff this is like elephant man Uh, but yeah, so I got I got some special attention, uh, but you know I just you know hit, stuck my head down, kept driving on, uh, ended up uh, going to uh, First Ranger Battalion uh, from from there, uh, and was just uh, probably the, some of the besides being an SF team sergeant, that was the uh, the best time of my life. Uh, you know, once you, you got a process where you have to prove yourself, and that's in any anything. Um, and so once uh, I made it through that process and had gained the trust of my leaders, uh, then. Uh, then I was I was one of the guys. I can't recall. Was first part of Panama? Uh, as far was. as the inv- yeah the invasion yeah yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, so we had a lot of a lot, a lot of great guys in uh, in that in that whole organization. Uh, so from there, uh, spent uh, about four years there. Decided, hey, you know, I want to. I uh, had kind of had that. You know, from there, you're either going two pathways. You're either you know you're either the the range of pathway to the unit, or you know you're going to SF or some other uh, some other place. So, my big thing is I always want to blow stuff up. So, uh, I said, hey, you know, let me try this SF selection thing. Uh, luckily, sometime back in that particular time, uh, you could catch a lot of flack for that not going the other route. Uh, luckily, I had some really good leadership that was like, "Hey, you know, your career is your career." Yeah. Uh, and then they kind of said, "Hey, if you're not, if your heart's not in in the right spot, then doing what you want to do, that's where that's the route you need to go. Don't don't do something because somebody else wants you to do it." Yeah. Uh, so I really wanted to be a demo guy in SF. So I went to selection, uh, got picked up as an 18 Charlie. Uh, luckily, I passed Calc in place. Uh, in the Q course. Wait, so what year is this? When did you go? When did you go? To the, the uh, ninety. Course? I graduated the Q course ninety eight. Okay. Yep. So I got there. I think it was uh, December ninety seven. December ninety seven, ninety eight, and then uh, graduated a year later. So I was I was stepping into seventh group and B two seven on seventh ODA seven five one. At the end. Yep. At the end of nineteen ninety eight. Okay, so that seventh group was in North Carolina at that time. Right? Yep. Okay. Yep. When was it that they made their way down to uh, to Eglin, down to Florida? 
I, I finished my team sergeant time. I had seven three one one after they flipped the numbers and added the uh, four numbers. That was a round. I finished my team sergeant time in two thousand nine, and I think they were already starting to the, the the push was going down there then. And I'm not sure when the last battalion made it down, uh, but it's so you didn't make it. You you finished up your career in all in North Carolina then. Yep, yep. Stayed uh, okay. once I got there around fourteen fifteen years on Bragg. Oh my gosh! Oh wow! So you went so four, four years in in First Battalion Ranger Regiment, went through the Q course, graduated the Q course, went straight to North Carolina for Seventh Group, and then spent fourteen years ish uh, doing SF stuff for in North Carolina. That's incredible. That's an incredible journey. I think that we stood up Seventh Group at Eglin in eleven, so they probably started building it around nine, ten, somewhere in there. Uh, all a little bit before me for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, I went out to my last two years was out in. Uh, uh, First battalion and uh, training group uh, out at Delta Company at Camacall. Uh, I was a North Field team sergeant for Robin Sage. Oh no lie. Okay. How'd you like that? That was an incredible experience. It uh, uh, it was a great. Uh, I had been my I, you know you try to I, I hid from the Swick monster for about six <laughs> years and then uh, I finally got hit up by the Swick monster and luckily. Uh, I went there as a cadre team sergeant, uh, E7, uh, at Robin Sage, and that was around 2004, five, five-ish, something like that. And then uh, said, hey, you know, Mama was like, hey, we're not moving to Florida because uh, she has a super great job here, and I didn't want to take her away from that. Uh, she had put up with my stuff for a long time. Uh, so I was like, hey, I said, I understand. So went to SWIC, went back out to Robin Sage. Uh, and just watch the change from, you know, that 2004, 2005 time frame to 2009, 10 when I got there. And just the way the, the way the Robin Sage itself, just from uh, the wars going on and guys going through and, and new influences coming back to Robin Sage and just and just taking it to the next level. Yeah, I think that's actually really fascinating. So when did the 18 X-ray pipeline start? They started that somewhere in that in that process, right? Yeah, I think it was, was what, around eight, two thousand eight, two thousand nine ish. And I guess let me back up a little bit for those for those of you guys listening that don't know, Robin Sage is the final exam for all Green Beret candidates. And so most people that I've talked to that have gone back and had to you know handle the Swick monster were really fortunate and excited to go to the Robin Sage portion of it. Uh, almost everyone that I've discussed going back and being part of the cadre, they love being in Robin Sage. So to hear the same thing from you is really a testament that it's got to be awesome. It is. It is. It's, it's uh, just the scenario. There's not too many scenarios out there uh, that are a dynamic scenario. And, you know, we prided ourselves on this is not a canned scenario. The scenario can morph and flex within 10 minutes based off a student's decision. So if the student chooses yeah. something that is not smart, uh, the, uh, the cadre team sergeant and his support crew can make uh, life bad for them. If it goes well, then they can make life good for them. Uh, so it's a, it's it's a heck of a scenario and a robust support mechanism that's in place there. You know, we hear so much talk nowadays, John. I'm sure you've heard it as well. You know, everybody always talks about the last hard class and that they, you know, or whatever as well. But they, they also talk about how much the military has changed, specifically the queue and the whole pipeline and everything else. But the reality is what you've just described very early on is that it's changed often because of the requirements, everything that's going on. And it's not necessarily to, you know, well, sometimes it is to allow an influx of individuals 
like an 18 x-ray program or when mission set needs additional bodies like it is right now um, and those types of things. But it doesn't mean that going through it, you're any less of a person tabbed special forces earning a green beret today than what you were 20 years ago. As a matter of fact, I've heard from Greybeards who went back in a and go to the meeting annually and see the training that's going through and their minds blown. These are some of the Vietnam vets, you know, that are their minds blown as to what types of training is currently going uh, underway. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's incredible. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's a, and, and, and you can attest to this also too, Zach, cause it's a, uh, uh, it's a thinking man's game. Uh, it's just not, Hey, I can, I can carry a Volkswagen on my back for a hundred miles. It's, uh, every decision I make has a second, third order effect. Uh, and you're going to live that in Robin Sage. Yeah, I think what Robin Sage really brings it all together, uh, going through as a student and then going through, coming back and like seeing some friends that were working there. Uh, it, you, you really nailed it. Choose your own adventure, essentially. It's an organic thing that evolves based on decisions. Um, and I think that they've really gotten it pretty scientific these days. So it, it's incredible to look and see. Yeah. What do you say to those who, when you hear somebody that says, though, that the requirements have changed? Because what we try to explain to people is that it's a selection process. The POI is not as rigid as you would think it would be, that it's, it is more about a selection. Am I right? Wrong? Help me out here and help our listeners understand when you go through that process, how things have evolved and, and what you're talking about. Because you just described the pivot based on the class and what people do in that uh, particular Robin Sage. Well, I used to tell guys, hey, it's uh, the entire Q course is a selection process. Uh, you know, the first part is you're trying to pinpoint that holistic concept of a guy, and you're trying to do that, what, in 18 to 21 days. Um, you know, everybody has a bad day. Uh, and then guys get into the – they start the Q course process, and they can be dropped at any time. Uh, you know, the, you try to – uh, and I've talked to, you know, debate on guys, well, hey, you know, the, the farther they get along the pipeline, the more money is invested in them. Uh, well, I mean, guys are still getting dropped in Robin Sage after a year, two years worth of training. Uh, and I think they've got it now, like Zach said, it's, it's pretty much to a science now. And you're always going to have the guys that go, oh, well, they, they got so many people slip through the cracks or the standards have dropped. Uh, and you know, I, I, I kind of go back to, you know, back, a good analogy was, well, back in ranger school, they, you know, they only feed, used to feed us one meal a day, and now they get two meals a day. Uh, yeah. Well, okay, big deal. <laughs> right. I, I, I got it, man. Either uh, the, the bottom line is they, they, it's the individual and those who, and that, you know, it, the, the, the shit, the turd that floats up in the bowl uh, eventually is going to get scooped out. He may not get scooped out in selection, may not get scooped out in phase two or Robin Sage, but eventually he can't hide forever. And that's in any organization. Yep. Uh, so yep. It's, it's kind of a, a, the naysayers or a, I went to the last hard class. Well, nobody's perfect. Yeah. Uh, I had bad days, uh, messed up plenty of times. That's how we learn. Yep. I heard the same thing from uh, Mike Pretz. He was at Swick, and one of the things he even said beyond just going through the queue is it, you know, the guys that slipped through the cracks and made it through may get to, you know, assigned to a unit, and the unit's going to figure them out rather quickly. And there's been several guys whose tabs, long tabs, have been, you know, taken off. They're no yeah. longer special forces. It's a process all the time. You're constantly having to prove yourself. It's not just um, in one phase and, hey, I earned the tab and I'm good to go. Yeah, that's uh, I kind of said a hey, selection is that entire Q course is a selection process. Yeah. 
So tell me about your time in seventh, because I'm curious to know from somebody that was in, you know, in the early phase and then to this war that we're now fighting, what did you see as far as the changes within seventh special forces group? Uh, so pre-war, uh, you know, seventh group's always been Southcom focused. Uh, that's kind of, a, that's our area. So even during the war, we never exactly can attest to this. We, we, they never really had, so you guys would come back off a trip from Afghanistan, you know, 90 days, they're turning and burning, uh, going to CENTCOM. So the, the op tempo was tremendous for them. They just didn't have one area to cover. They were actually covering down on two areas. Um, but I see, like I said, I started out in 751. Back then we used to have, you know, you had your shooting teams, you had your mountain teams, uh, your halo teams, your scuba teams, um, but and so you know you kind of oriented based off down down the hallway you would have a you know a team that could do anything, uh, based off what the company commander needed to get done. Uh, I was always on a shooting team. Usually the first team in the company, the one team was considered the shooting team. Uh, so I got to go to to back then they don't have any more. It was called SOT uh, Special Operations Training, which mm-hmm. was like the four week course of what is now known what is known now as Sephardic. Uh, that was something that. Uh, it uh, and it kind of morphed into uh, the what they have now, and, and all the groups have now is the Safawik program, Special Forces Advanced Urban Combat Course. Uh, that particular time, you had you were trying to get a lot of information or a lot of SMEs, subject matter experts, back to the teams that could teach the single team, single room entry into a structure. Um, but it was hard because Range Thirty Seven, which runs all the shooting courses for SWIC is constantly running courses and you can only put so many people in the courses. So I think it was general Tony, uh, around 1999, uh, or 2000, uh, said, Hey, I want to basically take that SOT program and have every group have it. Uh, so that's seventh group. I think was the first one, uh, Joe Crane, uh, legend team sergeant in seventh group. He started, uh, the first Safawik program. And most of those guys came out of C three, seven, uh, which was the SIF companies. I, I think they call them something different now, Cree or something. CRIF, yeah, CRF. Yeah. Same, uh, same philosophy, different name. Yeah. So uh, he started that up. Uh, everybody kind of had to rotate to, through. The first uh, evolution was your, every individual team rotated through. So you may have a team from 1st Battalion, a team 2nd uh, Battalion, two teams from 3rd Battalion rotating through together. Once they got the entire group trained up in that, then it focused on the company level. So an entire company would go through. Uh, around 2003, I got uh, selected to go over and be a cadre uh, instructor for them. Uh, so I ran the marksmanship program for a year and then uh, got to go to Sephardic, came back, ran the CQB committee for a year. Uh, and then that's when the Swick Monster found me. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's pretty good at this. We got to bring him back. Yeah, <laughs> no lie. <laughs> So yeah, it's, so it was great, great time, great learning. It probably helped me more as an instructor um, because you know when you're an instructor in SWIC, uh, there's that strict instructor to student to E7, E8 uh, to uh, young guy just coming into SF. There we were training from the company commander to the company so, uh, down to the lonely guy in the company. So your uh, methodology, your delivery method. Uh, you had to be on your stuff because you would get an e- you would be eaten up because uh, you're teaching team guys, some guys that have been in group five, six, seven, ten years longer than you. So you mm. had to have your stuff together. Yeah. So was it around this time frame that you ended up going to sniper school, or was this before? Uh, I went to sniper school right before I went to Sodic uh, back in 2001. So about a year before I got picked up to uh, uh, go to Safawik, I was a, a sniper for about a, you got to be a sniper for about a year and a half on a team. Okay. How was that? And I think. 
It was awesome. Awesome, man. It's, and I think the course uh, now, I think it's uh, Special Forces Sniper School. Oh, I forgot, Zach, you can correct me on that. I forgot the, uh, the new terminology because SODIC, I guess, was too harsh. I've got this corn over there. I can't remember what it is. Yeah, but SODIC was uh, back. It was a Special Operations Target Interdiction Course, and basically they just changed the name of it. Uh, but a lot more uh, – um, same thing, man. You know, the war uh, increases technology, increases TTPs, and a lot of great stuff came. Uh, and I've heard – talk to guys who went to, to that course after I went through and said, man, it's incredible now. Yeah, a lot of guys don't pass it now. Uh, it's actually one of those courses. It's not an easy just stamp in the bucket type thing. I'm sure it wasn't back then as well. But sort of sometimes we kind of think it's like that if it's a special forces course. I know a lot of guys that went and did not successfully navigate their way through it. So top level course. The guys that are coming back that have finished that now are providing a lot of really targeted sniper training for the detachments. Nice, nice, nice. And that's the great thing about having this course is you get that that guy come back from it and you know just like sf is known to be a force multiplier now he's spreading that wealth through the entire company yeah so did you end up going through scuba halo or anything else no i stayed on the shooting team side so that was kind of my thing which kind of drove me uh into my job now but uh yeah but did you to kind of cover the rest of it like i said i retired 2012 after finishing my uh last simon and swick uh started my own little training company I knew I still wanted to do the law enforcement side. Uh, I had a real itch for that. Uh, started my training company and got contacted to go be a G chief out of Robin Sage. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. There you go again, right back. There we go again, man. <laughs> uh, the sweet monster keeps calling. Uh, but no, so I was teaching. It was, uh, you know, you do uh, four weeks on, uh, uh, or excuse me, two weeks on, four weeks off. So I'd go out to Robin Sage for two weeks, come back, travel around teaching, shooting, uh, up and down the east coast uh and then about 2015 i said you know hey i want to uh this is about the time i want to i want to scratch this law enforcement bug uh so i joined uh, uh Fayetteville police department went through their academy uh got on with Fayetteville police department uh, was there about four and a half years uh about a year and a half, or about two years on the road uh and then with uh then three years with their swat team or they call them ert emergency response and then my last two years i was a robbery detective um, which is a uh, tremendous uh, learning curve. But it's amazing how you go through phases and your uh, your delivery method with different individuals. So that you know, you get into transitions out of the army. Uh, how we interact with each other in the army. Now, how do you interact in the uh, civilian world? Uh, but I uh, love being a cop. I was teaching here where I work at now, the range complex. I was contract teaching here while I was still a cop. And uh, around that, like I said, about four, four and a half year mark, they said, hey, uh, would you want to be uh, you're interested in a full time gig out here as the training director and range manager? So I said, uh, yeah, you're going to pay me more than I make as a cop. They go, oh, yeah, yeah. So I was, <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> So take me back, though, because when you were a police officer, first off, you know, you were running the the kind of walk in the beat type of thing. But then you go into SWAT. Did you find in your ERT type of SWAT, the the group there that you had a very similar tribe or mentality that you did within the the military? Or was it very different in that type of environment? Uh, Very similar. Same personalities. You know, those type small tribes attract a certain type person. Uh, So it was the same. Uh, the same guys uh, that you could have taken them out of a blue police uh, tactical suit and put them in, uh, you know, set of BDUs or uh, OG 107s or something. But uh, the uh, same type of personality, same group, same tribe, same uh, uh, same training uh, 
focus. Um, you know, they they fight on a daily basis the budget. Yeah, you know, that's their biggest thing. Is they you know they're they're asked to do ten thousand things, but really given the assets to only do about a hundred. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just that's the, that's the nature of that beast, uh, and they do the best with what they got. So you you remain doing at that time frame, I guess, sniper training as well, or being a sniper within. Yep. Okay. I yeah, so I was so. An, yeah, I was an entry team member and then uh, also a, uh, one of the snipers on the team. So I'm curious, how, how much training goes into that, or at least how how much do you have to continue training, I should say, uh, to remain proficient as a sniper? Yes, yes, and and, and, and even added on top of that, um, the – what's the best way to put this? Uh, as far as law goes, use of force policies. Hmm. Uh, you know, the ROE between the military and, and police are you know, quite different depending on, depending on where you're at in the world. But uh, even more so now, uh, you, you, have to, you have to know uh, what level to push it to. Uh, I'll kind of just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you, know, you see it every day out there now. I'm surprised you didn't go weapon sergeant then. When I came to SF, yeah. Uh, well, I, I was like, well, hey, you know, I've, I'm I'm running every type of weapon there is down here in regiment from the from the uh, Gustav to uh, you know whatever. So I said I just wanted to blow stuff up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I really want to be since I was a kid, kind of. That's that's kind of my my thing. I just wanted to be get involved with explosives and and that type of stuff. So it was fun. Yeah, I bet. Now with the range complex, tell me a little bit about that because as I understand it, there's some pretty high speed guys that you get a chance to work with on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. The, the uh, I think here, well, first off, TRC, the the range complex uh, was founded uh, in around I think around 2009. It used to be called Tiger Swan. Okay. Uh, and its its founding members were all uh, uh, unit members from Delta that had retired and gotten out. Uh, and so they kind of, you know, brought in the focus of uh, brilliance and the basics. There's no really advanced shooting. Uh, we used to be known, and and uh, when I was teaching out here, still the, the land of the 25-yard bull, uh, because that's you know you you that's the you, if you don't know the fundamentals, then you can't progress anywhere in your shooting. But um, so it's been known for that for the um, just pounding in the fundamentals, and then after the fundamentals, we'll put we'll put you in some scenarios or apply those fundamentals in different. Uh, uh, in different ways, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a great po, a great amount of units that come out here. Agencies from all over. Uh, some just use the to rent the facility because it's a, a phenomenal complex. Shoot houses, uh, long range, a uh, couple hundred yard bays, fifty yard bays. Uh, they've got a lot of good stuff going on out here, but uh, a lot of different agencies. So I get to see a lot of different types of training. Uh, whether they're just renting the facility or they've asked us to come in and provide instructors uh, uh, for their training. What's some of the best advice that you give these guys uh, as they begin to talk with you, either through um, guys who are going still in the military, that's going through the TRC now training pipeline that you guys end up putting them through, uh, through contract or whatever, or just in people that know you now uh, and know your history do you usually offer your advice and mentorship to them on some things that they could do within their career? Oh yeah. 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 One thing I tell guys, especially guys that are, you know, they're coming up, they're like, Hey, you've been retired for you're coming up on eight, nine years. You know, uh, what's some advice for me getting out? And, and I tell them all, I was like, Hey, number one is have a mission. You know, your entire career, everything you've been trained has been what's your task and purpose. Uh, and if you take that away from somebody and they don't have a task and purpose, something that drives them to get up in the morning, uh, then they're going to have issues. 
it's just the nature of the beast. I mean, you don't you don't have our mindset and and all of a sudden one day turn it off. Uh, it's just it, it can't happen. It's if if, if there, maybe there's some guys out there that that can, but I know for me, I had to have a mission. Uh, I started a a match out here. I run called the Battle Rattle, uh, and it's basically a uh, physical match. I, I let people tell you I have a couple of different divisions. If you want to run kit like a weight vest, you can run a weight vest. Uh, and it's basically we have a, an obstacle course out here, and it's like Zach, you know, it's like nothing but stress shoots. Uh, so it's oh, you know, yeah. you're 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 doing some type of physical activity, carrying something, dragging something, and you'll 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 have to do some type of marksmanship uh, drill. Well, I've had I've ran three so far, and I've had uh, five guys come up to me and say that the the battle rattle has saved their life. Wow! And I was like, well, how did the battle rattle save your life? Uh, and they're like, well, uh, now I have a focus. And I was like, you have a mission now. They're like, now I have something I want to PT more. This thing brought out, showed me all my inefficiencies. You know, I carried a gun for so long, and now I don't carry a gun. I love to shoot. Uh, and now I have something to wear. Hey, I can do. I can have a training plan physically. I can have a training plan marksmanship-wise. I feel better. Uh, and then it's also a an atmosphere out here. It's, it's you know, I got law enforcement, military, civilians, and if – and everybody's wearing civilian clothes, so you, you listen to everybody talk, and I'll sit back and just watch, uh, and you wouldn't know who's a civilian or who's military. I was just getting ready to ask you that. Yeah, would you be able to tell? And you can't. Yeah, no, not it's 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 become kind of a, a little small community out here uh, to where it's uh it's 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 pretty good. I mean, it it was good for that guy to say it, and that that gives me even more of a mission to put more into that uh, into that match. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that you're making that kind of impact, though, where people either still on active duty or going through some type of additional training through your program where they can learn something and be able to pass that on. Or it's an individual that um, has transitioned out and now is in a different lifestyle that's going through your type of training. You know, it sounds like uh, they're learning lessons uh, through life and other than just weapons training. You know, yeah. you're, you're trying to apply that as well. I think one of the biggest things that, you know, Zach and I were talking about just before we got on the show is that the difficulty of a lot of guys transitioning out too is not just the purpose or finding their passion or their mission. It's finding that tribe and that like-minded group of individuals that they can end up working together with. You found that within the police force, within, you know, the SWAT or ERT, and then you found it now within the, uh, the range complex. And so, um, that's what's missing, I think, for some guys who get away from military installations and they, they yeah. go out and they, they think that's what they want to do is get away. I was one of those. I, I wanted to leave as fast as I could away from it, but then <laughs> yeah. it ends up sucking you back in sort of like Swick did you each time, you know, but I yeah. mean, you know, it ends up sucking you. And it's, it's a great thing because when you find like-minded people that you can sit around like we are right now and have a conversation with, it's really cool. It is. It is. And it it it, it changes people's life, and I think it helps them just as more, because uh, no matter what you you know that's my thing is you know the all law enforcement the saying is never carry work home with you, yeah, uh, and you, that's impossible, yeah. I don't care who you are, you can't leave it in the car, uh, but to have an outlet, uh, whether it's just a group of guys that you're uh, that you're hanging out with that can talk, uh, or an event that you can come to and just have a good time, get smoked physically. And and sit down on your truck, sit on the, the bit of the truck afterward, and drink beer and laugh. Yeah, yeah. Can people go through this program as regular civilians, not law enforcement, not um, in the military? Can they go through the types of training that you've just been describing? Oh uh, yes, we have an on our website uh, www.therangecomplex.com. We have an entire section that's all open enrollment. 
Uh, and it's pretty much the exact same thing that we would uh, develop when I write the POIs and the classes for uh, the DOD units and agencies that come in. It's pretty much the same thing. We don't really we, we kind of shy away from the tactic side. Uh, teaching actual tactics, but the actual de- marksmanship development, uh, stress test, all that good stuff, everybody will get a chance. We, I mean, we teach everything from level one pistol, precision rifle. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a pretty good mix of open enrollment that anybody can sign up for. Wow, that's amazing. So when somebody signs up, will they know well in advance of when the training's uh, going to be taking place and everything else? Because we may have some people that's out of state that may want to come into North Carolina. Oh yeah! Once they sign up uh, on the website, they're they're locked into a class, um, and then once they once they're locked into a class, they can go straight through to and email us at info at the range complex. And we, if they're out of town, we send them hotel lists that give our uh, special rates if you're training out here, uh, and you're in from out of town. Uh, so yeah, once they once they sign up for the class, then we have an email and we're in direct contact with them the entire time. Yeah. It doesn't sound like you're slowing down, John. What's coming up next? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It doesn't actually. He's yeah. right. It's it's you know I'm, I'm a lifelong learner, man. I I, uh, I shoot I shoot been shooting competitively for 20 years, so I shoot three gun uh, PR anything I can shoot. I shoot uh, it's because it's there's 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 no there's no stop to trying to get to the next level. Are you uh, still competing then? The, yes. Yeah, oh. I compete this guy. I shoot a three gun match this coming weekend. Okay. <laughs> wow. Makes sense then. Uh, I mean, because everything that you've laid out, it doesn't seem like anything slowed you down to this point in life. I mean, you, you've I've obviously found your sweet spot. You, you know, you're very yeah. comfortable what you're doing, where you're at. I mean, you've been at that area around Fort Bragg in North Carolina for a very long time. So it's uh, that's obviously helps. You know, you've got yeah. a specific group of uh, network of friends and everything else that's uh, there to help you along the way. So. Man, I wish you nothing but the best there as you continue on and what you're doing. And um, hope to one day Zach and I can get down there to North Carolina and take go. part of some of this oh, training. Yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. I, and thank you guys for having me. Yeah, John, listen, before we go, I just want to thank you. Um, you know, the epitome of a Green Beret in my mind is an instructor. And it sounds to me like what your real calling is, is instructing. You've been doing that for decades, in my opinion. Uh, so thank you for honoring the legacy and just kind of continuing the path of instructing other individuals. I think that's a profound movement that you've done. You may not realize it. So thanks again. Hey, thank you, brother.